Amen. Why don't you stand with me? If you have your Bible, turn with me. Amen. To the book of Luke. Luke chapter 22. Amen. I want to say how good it is to have our guest with us this morning. Thank you so much for coming out to worship with us. Amen. If you haven't already had the opportunity, go by and shake their hand and tell them how good it is to have them in the house. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 31. If you have it, say amen. If you don't have it, it's on the screen behind me. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Amen. I want to preach to you for just a few moments this morning. I'm taking leave from our Kingdom Parable series. We will get back to that. Amen. But I felt like God laid on my heart something this morning. I thought that, quite frankly, I've preached before sometime in the past. Amen. But I felt very strongly uh, yesterday as the Lord began to deal with me about this service to preach this thought, the Master of the wind. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I love you. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you for the grace of God. And I'm asking, Lord, that in the next few moments you allow the anointing of the Holy Ghost to fill this place, Lord. Let the power of the Word of God reach into our hearts and our lives and touch us and change us. In Jesus' name, would you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. Threshing floors were frequently used as a metaphor in biblical language because they were a common sight in the Middle East. The threshing floor was a key part of the agricultural process. Grain that was harvested from the fields would never be ready for market until it first passed through a threshing floor. It was at the threshing floor that the good was separated from the bad. Wheat has a tough outer husk. It's, a, it's called chaff. It's, a, it's a, a heavy husk that grows around that rich kernel of wheat. It's thick. It's, it makes the wheat uh, unusable, if you will. It has to be milled off in, in modern usage. But in the old times, amen, they would take that wheat uh, and they would place it on the threshing floor. And the threshing floor is where the chaff was removed. Uh, amen. The threshing floor is where the chaff was separated. And the process was simple. The, the, the cut grains or cut stalks of grain would be spread on the stone floor of a threshing floor, someplace that had a stone bottom. And then a heavy sled of board and rocks would be pulled over the wheat by a team of oxen. And that process of the weight and the pressure and the grinding of uh, that board with stones on top of it would uh, separate the grain from the chaff. It caused the grain to come burst out of that husk that has held it and contained it. But whenever that process is finished, when the oxen are done, whenever the sledding is finished, what is left behind is a threshing floor that is littered with a chaotic mixture of both that which is good and that which is useless, both that which is grain and that which is chaff. They're all blended together. Some of it's good, some of it's not. Some of it has value, and some of it is worthless waste. And, and, and some of it serves only to diminish the value of the rest of it. 
Amen? So the second step in the process of threshing the wheat on the threshing floor was to separate the valuable from the worthless. The harvester would stand in the middle of the threshing floor with a shovel or some other device and would begin to toss the, the, the mixture into the air. The, the broken, bruised stalks of wheat and the chaff and the grain would all be thrown into the air. And what happens is the, the stalk is lighter than the grain. The leaves are lighter than the grain. The husk is lighter than the grain. And whenever they're thrown into the air, the, the wind catches them and, and, and blows away the lighter things, the chaff, the, the, chaff, the, the leaves, the stalks, uh, the husk that's been around that grain. Those things are blown off of the threshing floor to the side. And the grain, because it's dense and heavy, falls back down to the earth and is collected there by the harvester. That process of separation required wind. And threshing floors then were usually established where the breeze was most likely to blow. They may be placed in a large open field, but most likely, in, in most circumstances, they were placed on the top of a hill or even on the windswept side of a mountain. Those places where the wind frequently blows became threshing floors. It had to have the right environment. It had to have a stone floor. It had to have a constant and steady possibility that wind would be blowing there and if those things were in place it quickly became recognized as a threshing floor and was used for that purpose generation after generation they became highly valuable places they were well known as meeting places where people would come together or landmarks by which people would navigate because everybody knew where the threshing floor was because of the process of separation that accompanied the threshing floor, it quickly became a symbol in the Bible, a frequently used symbol. And, and God seems to be drawn to the threshing floor. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take you back to one of the oldest Bible stories that probably you learned in Sunday school years and years ago when God tested Abraham and he told him to take his son, his only son, that promised child, and bring him as a sacrifice unto the Lord. You remember the story without going into a great amount of depth how that Lord, the Lord told him, gather up your son and bring him to me, and you're going to offer him to me. And they set out on the journey to a mountain that God would reveal to them. God led Abraham on a three-day walk to a mountain named Moriah. And there on the heights of Mount Moriah at a windswept flat place on the side of that mountain, Abraham built an altar unto God and laid his promised son on that altar. And it was there that the hand of God intervened as Abraham sought to satisfy the request of God. And he drew back his hand with the knife in it to take the life of his son as a sacrifice unto the Lord. God stopped him. The angel of the Lord grabbed his hand, held it back, and spared the life of Isaac. But not until Abraham's faith was tested. God never delighted in human sacrifice. It's never been something that he takes pleasure from. And it was not ever his intention that Abraham would take the life of his son. But it was his intention to test Abraham. 
to put him in a place where his faith was challenged, to put him in a place where he had every opportunity and every reason to turn away from what God was asking him to do. And in that place, Abraham passed that test. Amen. It was the, If you read the story in the chronicle of Abraham's life, and I don't have the time this morning to tell the whole story of Abraham's life, but it's a succession uh, of tests and trials and, and circumstances that come in and challenge his faith. Uh, but the last challenge takes place on Mount Moriah. Never, ever again do you read in Scripture of Abraham's faith being tested. That was the place where it was firmly and forever established where his faith was and where his trust was. Now that same windswept flat where the wind of severe trial and test blew through Abraham's life would later become a threshing floor and would be used as such for many, many generations. It would remain a threshing floor until King David committed the grievous error of placing his trust in the number of his armies instead of God. And God sent a horrible plague on the land and said, David, if you're going to trust the strength of your armies, I'll take away your armies. If you think that's the reason why you're successful, I'll remove that from you. If you think that's the reason why your enemies won't invade your kingdom, I'm going to take away the thing that you're depending on because your faith and your confidence should be in me. Amen. And on that day, whenever the plague was stopped, David realized his wrong. He saw it a place of repentance, and the prophet of God instructed him to go to that same windswept flat where Abraham offered Isaac and told him to go there and build an altar unto God. It was on that day that David purchased, paid money for Ornan's threshing floor and sacrificed the oxen that had been used for threshing unto the Lord. And in that act, he stopped the plague and he spared the nation, but he also learned a valuable lesson. The source of his strength was not the size of his armies. The source of his strength was not his own resources. It was not the number of his chariots or the men that could draw a sword. The source of his strength was God. And that fundamental truth was reinforced on a threshing floor. One day, a few years later, Solomon would follow in his father's footsteps and he would lay the foundations of the house of God on the threshing floor that David purchased for morning. The exquisite glory of Solomon's temple would be built on that same windswept flat on the heights of Mount Moriah that had long been established by God as a threshing floor. So it comes as no surprise then that Jesus employed the metaphor of a threshing floor when he began to warn Peter of the dangers that lay before him. I believe that there is a significant lesson to be learned this morning from the threshing floor that is applicable to the life of every single believer. We jump into the text, the, the first verse that we read, with the startling and discouraging revelation. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, be Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as 
week. Could you imagine, amen, Jesus saying to you, Satan wants you. He has desired to have you. The original language puts it a little plainer. A more direct translation of the Greek would say something like, Satan has asked and received permission that he may sift you as wheat. It's already happened. Just like he came to God and inquired about Job and just like he received permission from God to test and tempt Job, uh, Peter, Satan has you in his sight uh, and he is already determined uh, that he's going to test you. Uh, he's going to try you. Uh, he has asked for permission uh, and it has been granted uh, to take you to the threshing floor and sift you as wheat. Satan has set out to prove, Peter, that you are a, you're, you're chaff. You are the, the worthless part. You're not wheat. You're not valuable, but you're that, that light part that easily blows away in the wind. Satan believes that when the storm of trial comes into your life, when circumstances conspire against you, when the harsh wind of the threshing floor assails you, that you're going to be blown to the side uh, like worthless chaff. Uh, he has determined uh, to turn his attention to you and prove that you're a failure, that you are fake, uh, that there's nothing good in you. He thinks he has you figured out. He thinks he is keyed in on your weakness and, and he believes that he can bring a storm uh, into your life, that he can bring a circumstance into your life, that he can bring a situation against you, a wind that will blow uh, and after the wind blows uh, you'll join the ranks of those who have made shipwreck of their faith. So he has asked. He's come before God and asked you know, Satan, for all of his plans, always works within the context of God's will. He does not have permission to come into your life and assault you without first going before the very throne of God, the place he hates the most, and asking permission. That's why the scripture can say with a, with a certain assuredness, God will never put on you more than you can bear. Because nothing ever comes into your life that doesn't first go before the throne of God. Amen? So he has asked. He has begged, if you will. And he has been granted the opportunity to place you on the threshing floor and loose the wind in your life. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, but Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith would fail not. Notice what Jesus didn't say. If I was standing there, this is what I would have wanted to hear. Peter or Tony, Satan has desired to sift you as we, but I have prayed that you won't have to go through that. But I prayed that you'd be spared from the threshing floor. That's not what Jesus said. Uh, he didn't say, I prayed uh, that the wind wouldn't blow. Uh, he didn't say, I prayed uh, that the storm wouldn't ravage your life. Uh, no, my friend, what he said was, I have prayed uh, that when you're on the threshing floor, uh, that the wind of trial and tragedy uh, tears at your soul, uh, but that it will not uh, destroy you. Uh, that when 
you're on the threshing floor and everything seems to come against you that your faith would not fail. I have prayed, he said, that when the wind blows fierce, when failure haunts you, when defeat comes to claim you, that your faith in me will be enough to see you through. I don't know if you've ever noticed it or not, but trials and tests are just a normal part of life. Amen. It, it is a fact. Every man is tempted when he is drawn out of his own desires, the scripture says, and enticed. All of us find ourselves over and over and over again in places where our faith is tested, in places where we are tempted to just throw in the towel and walk away. If you attempt to live for God for any length of time at all, you'll find yourself in that kind of a place where everything you believe is challenged. And in a moment of weakness, you'll be tempted to throw it all away and go back to the life that you left behind. The threshing floor is that sifting place. It's where the winds of trial and temptations and circumstance blow forcefully across your life. Uh, it's that place where the wind is designed to drive away the chaff and preserve the wheat, separating the good from the bad. And Jesus announces to Peter, that he's headed for the threshing floor because Satan has desired to prove that Peter is just chaff, that his faith was a fragile, weak thing and that it could be blown away in the coming trial. But God, in his infinite wisdom, refused to shelter Peter from the wind of the threshing floor because God knows that the same wind that Satan thought would destroy Peter, would instead establish Peter in his faith. I believe today that the threshing floor serves to illustrate the difference in the way that Satan and God view the same set of circumstances. What Satan views as a temptation, what Satan views as a trial, what he views as a storm that will destroy you, God views as an opportunity to strengthen you, to build you up in your faith, to make you better than you were before you went into the storm. The difference is the viewpoint. Through the fire of temptation, your enemy strives to bring out the, the evil and carnality that is implicitly ingrained in your fleshly nature. But in the same set of circumstances, God strives to establish you in your faith. And the, the same wind that blows away the chaff reveals the wheat. The same trial that proves what is wood and hay and stubble also serves to reveal that which is gold and silver tried as if by fire. The same wind serves both purposes. It blows away that which is not good and it establishes that which is valuable. And Satan desired to place Peter on the threshing floor because he believed that the wind would destroy Peter. He believed that the wind would reveal that Peter's faith was weak. But Jesus prayed for him that his faith would stand the trial. Not that he'd be spared the trial. Not that he would 
not have to go to the threshing floor, but that he would emerge from the threshing floor stronger than he was when he went in. Not that he would be spared the wind, but that the wind would serve to establish him in his faith. I want to point something out to you this morning. God doesn't stamp out evil in our lives. He doesn't hold back the storms or the trials and temptations. He doesn't hold back the, the difficult circumstances that we that are just a part of life. Instead, he uses them for his eternal purpose. He works in our lives through the trying times, uh, through the difficult places, uh, taking that which was intended for evil and making it work together for good. He takes that which was meant to destroy us and instead he harnesses it for his eternal purpose and for our good. It's a theme that's echoed throughout scripture. Out of terrible tragedy emerges tremendous triumph. Out of seemingly horrible defeat there arises incredible victory. God takes betrayal and turns it into a blessing. He takes debilitating sickness and renders it into an incredible healing. He takes death and turns it into a testimony over and over and over again. Out of the eater comes forth meat. Out of the strong comes forth sweetness. Out of the bitter flows refreshing. Child of God, you need to recognize this Sunday morning, God isn't afraid of the threshing floor. And neither should you be. Because He is the master of the wind. He is the one that controls the storm. He is the one that governs the circumstances of your life. He controls the very forces that threaten to destroy you. The same wind that serves to blow away the chaff uh, also reveals the grain. Uh, the same wind uh, that brings out the bad uh, also serves to establish uh, the good. Uh, and the master of the wind uh, takes the same wind uh, that was intended to be a curse, uh, that was intended to destroy you, and turns it into a blessing. He works all things together. For good. That's why James can say in the, sec in the first chapter of James, James chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh Patience. Skipping down to verse 12, it says this, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, uh, he shall receive the crown of life, uh, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. What he's saying is, don't be dismayed. Don't get discouraged when the test and the trouble and the trial comes your way. When you're challenged from every side. Uh, because the same wind uh, that uh, tries to strike you down, uh, that seeks to destroy you, brings your faith to center stage. And if in that moment when everything is questioned, in that moment when your faith is challenged, if you can find the strength to stand firm in your faith, the threshing floor 
is only going to bless you. Because the master of the wind will cause it to strengthen and establish you instead of destroying you. It is an eternal truth. It reigns on the just and the unjust alike. It is an unavoidable fact. Time and circumstance happens to every man. Trouble and tragedy and trial will visit you at times and places in your life because it's simply a part of the fabric of life. But you must grasp the simple understanding that Satan may seek to destroy you with the wind that blows through your life. It may originate with evil intentions. He may think he's bringing the trial to bring you down. But God alone is the master of the wind. And regardless of the intentions of the devil, regardless of the intentions of hell, the wind serves God and God only. That's why Peter can say in 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing had happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering that when His glory shall be revealed uh, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Uh, That's the attitude of someone who knows uh, that the wind may blow in my life. Uh, I may find myself uh, on the threshing floor but if I stand firm in my faith the glory of God is going to be revealed not in spite of the wind but because of the wind because he's the master of the wind in another passage Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 6 we're in Ye greatly rejoice, though now for season, if need be. You're in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, may be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That's the confidence of a believer in the middle of some storm or fiery trial that has learned a simple lesson. I serve the master of the wind. I serve uh, the one who's in control. Uh, Amen. It can blow in my life, uh, but it won't destroy me. It can rise up against me, but it can't break me. Uh, It can come screaming uh, through everything that I hold dear, but if I stand my ground, uh, if I keep my faith, uh, I'll outlast the wind because that which was meant to destroy me will instead strengthen me. And when the storm passes, and when the wind dies, all that remains, Peter said, is praise and honor and glory 
at the appearance of Jesus Christ in my life. Uh, that's the purpose uh, of the master who controls uh, the wind. Uh, amen. It's in the middle of your storm uh, where he shows himself uh, to be faithful. It's in the middle of your storm. It's in the middle of the trial. It's when the wind blows. Uh, amen. That you learn uh, that you can trust him. Uh, that you can depend on him. Uh, that he's never forsaken you. That he's never left you alone. Scripture uses the image of the refiner's fire. Silver and gold are placed into that fire, and the fire burns away the dross and refines the silver. In that fiery furnace, the impurities, that's what the dross is. It's the stuff that isn't pure. It melts away. It's separated. Under the high velocity of the wind and the threshing floor, the things we don't need in our lives are what's blown away. It's in the fire of temptation that the impurities that plague our own character and would eventually cause us to fail God are revealed to us. It's in the crucible of pain and tears and seemingly irreversible failures that the weak places in our lives are revealed. And the bad that has plagued us is exposed within us. It's on the threshing floor that the old husk of flesh is separated from the heart of faith. God told Israel through Isaiah that he's chosen the fiery furnace of affliction to refine his people. The refiner's fire burns hot. But it's not an unregulated heat. You see, if the fire burned hot enough, it would destroy the silver that was placed in it. But the refiner controls the fire. And the fire only burns hot enough to consume that which is impure, but never hot enough to destroy that which is being purified. Because the fire like the wind, serves the refiner of the silver. God is going to bring you to some places in your life where the fiery trial will test you. And it will seem like defeat has struck you. But mark my words, he'll never turn the fire up so hot that it will consume you if you just stand fast in your faith. He'll never put on you more than you can bear. The fire may be hot. The wind may be strong. But it will never be more than you can handle. With the help of his grace. Because he's the master. He controls the temperature. He controls the wind. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 2 said. When thou passest through the waters. I will be with thee. And when thou passest through the rivers. They shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest through the fire, they sh thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Notice what it doesn't say. Leave the scripture up there just a minute. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say if you walk through the fire. It says when you walk through the fire. When you go 
through that river. When you come into that place of trial and trouble, when you walk through the fire, you have this single promise, uh, this simple point of faith. Uh, It'll never be hot enough to destroy you, but it will be hot enough to refine you. When you find yourself on the threshing floor, you can rest assured the wind will be enough to make you aware of the weaknesses in your life. The wind will be enough to reveal to you where you need to pray and what you need to work on. It'll be enough to show you the frailties and flaws of your flesh, but it'll never be enough to break you. It'll never be enough to destroy you because he's the master of the wind. That's why Job can say in the middle of his affliction. Job chapter 23 and verse 10. But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He knows where you are. Uh, He knows what you're going through. He knows the way that you're walking. Uh, He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't brushed you aside. The storm is not evidence uh, of his disapproval in your life. He knows right where you are. And when he gets done with you, uh, you're going to come forth stronger than you were when you went in. Uh, You're going to come out like gold. I want to go back to our text one more time as I get ready to close. Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Brother Larry, if you go get Brother Ryan. Simon has some issues that need to be revealed in his life. In the same hour that Jesus said this to to Peter, Peter had attempted to promote himself to the foremost place among the disciples, arguing that he should be considered first among their number. Shortly thereafter, he vehemently resisted Jesus' efforts to wash his his feet. No, you, you can't serve me. So much so that Jesus rebuked him and said, Peter, if I don't serve you, I'm none of yours and you're none of mine. Then a moment, just a moment before Jesus made this statement to Peter, Peter made the audacious claim that he would follow the Lord Jesus to any lengths, even to his own death. The problem was not the fervency of Peter's desire to be a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ. The problem was his approach to accomplishing that task. Peter was fixated on himself. This strong, gruff fisherman who had probably never met a physical task that he couldn't overcome has determined in and of himself that he will stand for the Lord by the power of his own strength. And you see, Peter's problem was the source of his resolution. He has resolved by his own power, that he will serve the Lord. And he's about to learn a very valuable lesson. The wind of the threshing floor is about to blow through his life. And when it is finished, all reliance on self is going to be shattered. In that vital moment, when faith mattered most, 
when his master's life was hanging in the balance. Peter, who had followed him from the garden to the place where they were trying him. Peter, who warmed his hands at a fire outside where he could see what was happening. Peter's self-reliance would fail him. And they would ask him, aren't you? Aren't you one of his followers? Don't you belong to Jesus? And he would curse and deny the Lord three times before running off into the darkness of the night with tears of bitter defeat. But the same threshing floor that served to reveal his weakness also brought him to his knees and served to strengthen his faith. And after the dust settles and after the wind dies down, Peter emerges from the threshing floor and does so with a certain confidence and strength that is not in his flesh. The Peter who stands on the balcony on the day of Pentecost is not the same brash Peter that wielded his sword in the garden. All because the wind blew through his life. All because of an experience on a threshing floor. Peter becomes the first among the twelve. Peter becomes the voice of the disciples. He becomes that established rock of the faithful. It's his voice that preaches the salvation message in Acts chapter 2. It's God. God uses Peter. It's Peter is the one that is employed to carry the gospel first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And Paul would later pick up that baton. But it started with Peter. Never the same after that moment in the courtyard where the wind blew through his life. Would you stand with me? So when Jesus looks at him that night and tells him the wind is coming, he goes on to say this, But I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted... Strengthen thy brethren. Not if, but when. When you are converted. When you come through this. When you emerge on the other side. Amen. Jesus has no question of whether or not Peter is going to survive this trial. Jesus has no question of whether or not the wind is going to destroy him because he's the master of the wind. And he knows what the trial is designed to do. And Peter, when you get on the other side of the threshing floor, when you go on the other side of the trial and trouble that you're going through, whenever you've come through this circumstance that seemed like it might destroy you, he said, I have a commission for you. There's a job for you to do. Strengthen your brethren. I want to tell somebody in this house on a Sunday morning the threshing floor isn't just for your benefit others are going to face the same thing you're facing and your testimony is going to be an encouragement to them Jesus said strengthen your brethren sometimes God puts you in places to equip you for ministry oh no I'm not a pastor I'm not a preacher. I, I'm, I, I'm not. Every one of us is called in a ministry. Every one of us is called to reach a lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes God puts you in places 
to equip you for that calling. You've experienced some difficult things in life, and you've come out of them with a victory. You've walked through some trying places, and, and the Lord has brought you through, and there will be others who will come along behind you, and they need to learn from your story. The failure doesn't have to be final. And they need to learn from your story that when you stand in the courtyard and you think you've blown it all, and you leave with tears of regret. And Peter didn't count himself as one of the disciples after that. You'll remember when the angel appears at the tomb. It doesn't just say, go to my disciples and tell them to meet me. He says, go to my disciples and Peter. Because Peter doesn't even number himself among the twelve after that failure. Somewhere down the road, Peter, your testimony. It's going to strengthen somebody else. Somewhere down the road, somebody's going to hear the story of how you failed and how you messed up and how you thought you'd lost it all and you'd ruined it all, but how the grace of God established you and how the grace of God brought you through and how your faith was strengthened. Somebody's going to come along that needs to hear the testimony of someone who has truly learned. Jesus is the master of the wind. That the trial and trouble of my life serves his purpose. That he bends every circumstance to his will. They need to hear you say, he's trustworthy, especially when the wind is blowing. He's trustworthy, especially in the fiery furnace. He's trustworthy, especially in the middle of your storm. I come to tell somebody in this place today, you're going to get through this. You're going to make it through this trial. You're going to make it through this situation. You're going to come out victorious. And when you do, remember your testimony. Because somebody else needs to hear it. Somebody else needs to hear what God is doing in your life. I, there are, under the sound of my voice, people in various stages of what I preached about this morning. Some of you are, have not yet entered the storm, and this message comes from heaven to prepare you for what is just over the horizon that you can't see. Some of you are walking through the darkness of a trial that has tested you and tried you and challenged your faith in ways you didn't think possible. And this message comes from the throne of God to encourage you to stay the course, to stand fast, to keep your faith in Him because He's the master of the wind. He's in control of the circumstance. And some of you are standing on the other side of the trial and you have the testimony that somebody else needs to hear. And you need to hear Jesus' words to Peter when you come through this. Strengthen you. Don't, don't silence your testimony. So often we want to hide our failures. We mess up and we want to go to the cross and get the Lord to forgive us and, and put it under the blood and we want to hide it. We don't, want to, we don't want to admit that we're human, that we fail, that we're frail. But somebody needs to hear. It's a God of grace and mercy. And when I messed up, when I fell down, and when, when I didn't think I could go on, he picked me up again. He restored me. 
not just a secondary place in the kingdom, but he made me a disciple, the chief of the disciples. He lifted me out of my heartache and my pain. He set my feet on the rock. I want to make an appeal right now to all three kinds of people. Those who don't yet have that circumstance in life, maybe somewhere over the horizon that you'd come and ask the Lord to give you strength. Those that are going through the trial, that you would come and turn your heart towards Him and say, Lord, I trust you. In spite of the circumstance, I trust you. In spite of what's going on, I trust you. And those that have that testimony, that you would find the faith and the confidence to share to strengthen your brothers and your sisters in the Lord. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. Come on, I know the master of the wind. I know the one that controls the circumstance. I know the one that's in charge of it all. He's the one that watches over you. He guides your footsteps. He governs your life. He orders your ways. He brought you here to this place. In his divine purpose and will. Would you turn your heart to him and say, Lord, I'm, I surrender myself to your will. I surrender myself to your purpose. I surrender myself to your plan, God. I want you to have your way. In Jesus' name. Would you call on the Lord this morning?